Our reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back, pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. We love to hear the stories of lives turned round through Jesus. We can't get enough of it. If you go into any Christian bookshop and look along the shelves, book after book of amazing stories of people who have had dire situations, have met Jesus, and their lives have been transformed. Quite recently, um, some of our men joined the men's group in Bramley, and they heard um, a, a former prisoner speak about how he did an alpha course in prison, met Jesus, and his life was changed. And he now goes around the country talking about that. And there's such a power in those testimonies. Because when we encounter Jesus in our lives, when we encounter Jesus as our Lord, everything is turned on its head. No matter what our lives have been like, they are transformed. And it's not just the remarkable stories. It's not just those best-selling books. For every single one of us, when we meet Jesus, everything is turned on its head. And our lives are transformed and continue to be transformed. It doesn't happen all at once. But we continue to be changed by Jesus. So we're going to look at this very, very familiar story of Zacchaeus. And we're going to try and understand what's going on in the story and then think about what it is meaning for ourselves. So if we start at the beginning, we see that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Just a throwaway little remark. But he didn't intend to stay in Jericho. He was on a journey and he was going through the city. So he wasn't expecting what happened. He wasn't intending to stay. And it shows us how Jesus just responds when he needs to. He didn't intend staying in Jericho. And that's important to remember when we get to the end of the story. And we hear about the man called Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. None of us like tax collectors even now, so we can understand this, that sense of the tax collector. 
But it was even worse in Jesus' time because the tax collectors were local people. We have to remember that the land was occupied by the Romans. So the people, of, um, you know, the people living there were living under a foreign authority who were taking taxes from them. Think about yesterday, American Independence Day, the fights that there were in order to be free of this external body taking the taxes. So that was what was happening. There were local taxes, and then there was a tax to Rome. And the Romans appointed a local person, so a local Jewish person, to be responsible for collecting the taxes. Well, they were really hated. They were seen as collaborators, siding with the enemy, doing a terrible task on the enemy's behalf, and getting rich on it as well. So they were far from popular. They were hated, they were despised. Working for the enemy and taking advantage of the economic injustice to become wealthy for themselves. And if we read rabbinic literature of the time, if we read the things that were written by the rabbis at the time, we see that they really were hated by everyone in Jewish society. And they were considered unclean. And if we remember back to last week, we know how important that is. If somebody is seen as unclean, they're not accepted into everyday society. And if you associate with them, you too become unclean. Again, bear that in mind when we come to find out what Jesus does. So from verses 3 to 6, we then have a series of unusual events. Firstly, with Zacchaeus. Now, for some reason, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. We don't know why. Has he heard about him? Is he intrigued? Is he nosy? We don't know. But he wants to see Jesus. But he's got a problem. He's hated. There would be crowds of people around, and he'd need to find a way of actually meeting Jesus without being caught up in the crowd and probably had lots of people shouting at him, calling him names, despising him. So he runs, which is the first unusual act for him, and he climbs a tree. And he climbs a tree, it's described as a sycamore fig tree, and these trees were largely on the outskirts of the town. So he doesn't stay in the heart of things. He goes to a place where he thinks there'll be fewer people around, slightly outside where the crowds will have lessened. So there's less risk of him coming in for this name-calling or hatred or whatever it might be. So he runs there. Now, men didn't run. It was undignified, and you were a laughingstock if you ran. It involved pulling up your long robes and running along the street. Now, not many men would do that today. But it was definitely not done in Jesus' time. But he wants to see Jesus. And so he's willing to ridicule himself to see Jesus. And it does that even more so by climbing the tree. If nobody ran, the thought of climbing a tree is just way beyond it. He would never, ever do that. But he was short. And he wanted to be able to get a view hidden in the dense foliage that would have been in this tree in order to be able to see him. He's willing to ridicule himself and to do things that are so contrary to the social etiquette of the day to see Jesus. You know my 
my men in my life are all much, much taller than me. If they walk in front of me, I can't see. My shoes get higher and higher. And I can understand that need to climb the tree. Very practical reason, but also this idea of being hidden because of the leaves surrounding him. He could do it with nobody noticing him. He runs and he climbs a tree. Really bizarre things for the day. Completely out of the social etiquette. Jesus, in these verses, also does some unusual things. Now, Jesus hasn't had much good to say about the wealthy. And he's not had much good to say about the tax collectors. In fact, through the whole of Luke, each of the Gospel writers take different slants. And Luke has this slant of a favour towards the poor. So he narrates the episodes where Jesus is actually very harsh against wealth, and he has been harsh against tax collectors. So he knows that this man is in the tree. And if we've been reading through the Gospel, and we've seen Jesus' reaction to wealthy tax collectors, we would think he's going to have something harsh to say to this man. But he doesn't. He calls him down from the tree. And he changes his travel plans. Now again, remember, he didn't intend staying in Jericho. Now, Middle Eastern custom was that if somebody was going to be staying in a village, it was up to the community to decide where that person would stay in order to appropriate them the correct honour. The the guest would never invite themselves and they would never determine where they were going to stay. If the community had been choosing the right place for Jesus to stay, it would never have been Zacchaeus' house. So Jesus is Again, breaking a social rule by inviting himself, I'd like to come to your house for tea. And by choosing the outcast. And remember, he's unclean. According to the Jewish rabbis, this tax collector is unclean. And again, as we remember from last week, Jesus would be unclean himself by entering into his house. Amazing, unusual, incredible things that when we were in Sunday school singing the song about Zacchaeus in the tree, we didn't understand. We've got to realise just how out of the ordinary these things are. And it's hard in our culture because we're not living in the same culture. I don't know what the equivalent would be today. What would be the most unusual social norm? Perhaps the, <laughs> those bikers, the nudist bikers the other week. I don't know doing something like that that is so out of the ordinary that everybody laughs at. And for Jesus to come alongside the unclean, the rejected, the despised, the hated, to say, I want to come to your house. All the people mutter in verse 7. Well, there's a surprise. All the people mutter. What on earth is he doing? How can he go to that place? Combination of disgust and jealousy, perhaps. We're so quick to mutter, aren't we? And yet, what is Jesus doing? He is going to the person who has sought him out, who wanted to see him so much he was willing to do all of this. And Zacchaeus' response. He's been a recipient of costly love. 
What Jesus has done isn't easy. He knows the reaction to what he is doing. And he knows it's another literal nail in his coffin. Another bone of contention, another complaint to the authorities. This teacher, this man, who does he think he is? Look, he mixes with the sinners. Costly love that will lead to his death. The actions he takes, he deliberately does, knowing the consequence of them. And Zacchaeus knows how costly this is. And he receives this unconditional love, this grace. And his response is one of exaggeration. I will give away half of my possessions. And if I have cheated anybody, doesn't assume that he has, but if I have, I will repay four times the amount. And under the laws in Leviticus, that was the most extreme repayment. If you were accused of theft, the fine, the charge, was to repay four times the amount. So he's saying, I'll do the utmost. The most severe crime, I will repay four times the amount if I have cheated. Suddenly, money doesn't matter to him. Wealth, status, none of that matters. He has received the love of Jesus and everything is turned on its head. And in verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. He is a Jew in the Jewish line. But remember, he's been um, assumed to be excluded from Jewish society. So he's not been seen as a Jew, as he truly is. But he has also been walking in the footsteps of Abraham. He's been living the life. He's living the faith. We see his response and his action to receiving the love of God in his life. And that transformed life demonstrates how he truly is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And we almost have this tiny summary of Jesus' ministry, what he has come to do. He is the good shepherd who has come to seek the lost. So it's an amazing story. It's an episode of unexpected twists and reversals. In the previous chapter, we've got another story with a sadder outcome. We've got the story of the rich ruler who comes and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you need to obey the commandments. I've I've done them all. Done them all. I'm okay. And Jesus turns to him and says, you need to give away all your wealth. And the rich ruler goes away disappointed because he cannot do that. And Jesus turns and says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But here it happens, doesn't it? How hard it is, but not impossible. Because Zacchaeus, the rich man, the wealthy man, receives the love of God, his life is changed and his salvation is sure. The rich can enter the kingdom of heaven. Because all of our lives can be transformed. Lives can be healed and turned round. And Jesus' salvation offers and restores and renews 
our whole being. I wonder why Zacchaeus was able to change when the rich ruler wasn't. Something about him that was able to accept that grace and that love. And once he did, changing his life was the most natural thing in the world. He didn't need to think about it. It was instinctive and automatic. He wanted to live as Jesus wanted him to because he had received all that Jesus had for him. And that's the challenge for us. Because as I said at the beginning, it's not a a once and for all change. If we truly know God in our lives, if we truly know the love of Jesus in our hearts, our lives should be ones of continual transformation and renewal, becoming more and more like Christ himself. We can't do that ourselves, but the work of Christ in us is what does that. But sometimes it's hard for us to actually receive that love, to sing the song, thank you for saving me, to actually take it on board so deep in our hearts that the most natural thing is for our lives to change, to be renewed. We may not have massive changes in our lives. We may not have those testimonies that says, once I did this and now I'm like this. But day by day, my life should be changing. I should be more gentle. I should show more joy. I should be more patient. My faith should be strengthened and deepened. Think of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. If Jesus is at work in my life, all of those things should be blossoming bit by bit, day by day, so that as I look back on my life, I can see how that continuing renewal is happening because Jesus transforms us day by day by day. Through the work of his spirit, we are renewed. And that is what Jesus does in our lives. Steve Chalk wrote this. Jesus called his first followers to life-transforming relationships with God the Father and with other people. It's our privilege and responsibility both to model those relationships and to welcome others into them. God is always working to redeem. Just as an artist never uses an eraser, but rather works the stray line back into the drawing, so God's purpose is to make all things new. And as I read that, I was reminded of another quote. This is by Paula Gooder. That whole sense of what God is doing in our lives as the work of an artist who doesn't use an eraser, but takes the mess of our lives and draws it back in to continue to make the beautiful picture. Another analogy that Robert Cotton used yesterday. He said, it's our calling, each one of us, to sing the tune so that others might learn the song. To keep becoming more and more of God's people. This is, um, Paula Gooder is a New Testament scholar. She's also a mum and has daughters. She's very down to earth. 
And she'd written this amazing book about the risen existence, all about Easter. And in the epilogue, she talks about home life and brings theology into her home life. Not long ago at dinner, one of my daughters asked a question that, in my view, puts into words somewhat beautifully the meaning of our resurrection existence, what it means to live as Easter people, living in the reality of Christ alive within us. In the midst of the hurly-burly of serving and eating dinner, as it always is, this daughter suddenly said, how does Jesus make us real? Then as my husband and I reached for an answer, she continued, does he draw us first and then colour us in? And this to me is a wonderful description of the resurrection life. First, Jesus draws us, both in the sense of drawing us to him, but also in the sense of recreating and refiguring us anew into a Christ-like existence. He then proceeds to colour us in. Our continued life in Christ is the way in which he colours us in. There we become more and more Christ-like, increasingly shaped by him until in our resurrection bodies the whole of our being is infused with the things of the Spirit and Christ's resurrected life becomes not just a part but the whole of who we are. That is what God is doing within us. Isn't that remarkable? That more and more we become like Christ who is within us and in heaven we will be in our true form, created as we've meant to be. This transformative colouring in is not just for our own benefit, but is for the good of the whole created order. If we are in Christ, we become like him. If we are in Christ, we're called to become life givers, life breathers, life makers. We become people who bear resurrection with us wherever we go. Zacchaeus' life was turned upside down. The collaborator who was making a quick buck from the enemy. His values were turned upside down. He accepted the love and grace that Jesus offered him. He received salvation. And we don't know what happened. We never hear of him again. But I think he went through life telling the story of what Jesus had done. And it would shine through him. A changed man Jesus has done that same work in us, in you and in me. And he continues to do it day by day by day. He colours us in when we let him. So that we too can become more Christ-like. Reveal more of the Christ who is living within us. And we can shine for the glory of God. Amen.